Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, August 15th. Today's big idea, Trump acts like the president of the red states of America. Donald Trump often behaves as if he's first and foremost the president of the states and the people who voted for him. That's at odds with the American tradition, and it's problematic as a governing philosophy, especially in a moment of crisis. Trump's initially tone-deaf response to the horror in Charlottesville underscores why. Animated by grievance and congenitally disinclined to extend olive branches, Trump lashes out at his enemies while remaining reticent to explicitly call out his fans, no matter how odious, extreme, or violent. Channeling his inner Richard Nixon, who kept an enemies list of his own, candidate Trump often claimed to speak for a silent majority. After failing to win the popular vote, President Trump has instead governed on behalf of an increasingly vocal but diminishing minority. The president has held campaign-style rallies in places like West Virginia, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Indeed, almost all of his political travel has been to places he carried last November. He keeps stacks of 2016 electoral maps to hand out to people visiting the Oval Office so he can point out the sea of red. He speaks often about his, quote, base, preferring to preach to the choir rather than evangelize, but it's not working. The latest Gallup survey shows that 79% of Republicans are backing him, his lowest number so far. Trump appeared reluctant to make his brief remarks yesterday in which he explicitly condemned the KKK, neo-Nazis, and white supremacists. He tacked them on to a hastily arranged speech after praising his own stewardship of the economy. Reading from a teleprompter, Trump said that the displays of hatred and bigotry in Charlottesville have no place in America. In this context, Trump's announcement that he is mulling a pardon for Joe Arpaio can be viewed as a strategic sop to mollify some of the most xenophobic elements of his nativist base. The president told Fox News in an interview published yesterday that he is seriously considering a full pardon to the former Arizona sheriff who was convicted last month of criminal contempt for ignoring a federal judge's order that he stop racially profiling Hispanics. Back in 2011, the Justice Department concluded that Arpaio's deputies had engaged in the worst pattern of racial profiling that the Justice Department had ever investigated. In stark contrast to his caution after Charlottesville, it took Trump just 54 minutes to attack the chief executive of Merck, the pharmaceutical company, yesterday by name after he resigned from the president's manufacturing council. Kenneth Frazier said he was upset about the president's weak response to Charlottesville and praised the importance of diversity. Trump didn't just attack him once on Twitter. He attacked him again last night using the bully pulpit of social media. And that's the big idea for today. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, a turning point in the debate over Confederate memorials. Talk about the law of unintended consequences. Nazi sympathizer James Alex Fields, who stands accused of driving his car into a crowd of counter-protesters in Charlottesville at a high rate of speed, may do for the debate over Confederate statues what Dylan Roof did to the debate over the Confederate flag with his horrendous June 2015 massacre at an African-American church in Charleston. It has become more politically untenable for elected officials to defend these Confederate memorials in the wake of this tragedy because they don't want to get lumped in with the extremists who descended on Charlottesville to keep the Robert E. Lee statue. 
Protesters in Durham, North Carolina last night toppled a Confederate statue that stood in front of a county administrative building. In Maryland, Democratic gubernatorial candidate Ben Jealous, the former president of the NAACP, publicly called for the removal of a controversial Confederate statue from the state house. Yesterday in Gainesville, Florida, the city removed its old Joe Confederate statue. Number two, a low-level foreign policy advisor to Trump repeatedly attempted to set up a meeting with Russian officials during the presidential campaign last year. The advisor, George Papadopoulos, offered to set up a meeting between, quote, us and the Russian leadership to discuss U.S.-Russia ties under Trump. According to internal emails, his actions alarmed some at campaign headquarters. Campaign chairman Paul Manafort rejected his request. Less than a decade out of college, Papadopoulos has appeared to hold little sway within the campaign. It's unclear whether he was acting as an intermediary for the Russian government. Number three, Kim Jong-un appeared to slightly ease his rhetoric against the United States overnight. But as is so often the case with North Korea, the message was mixed. Kim was seen inspecting the missile unit tasked with preparing a strike near Guam. South Korean President Moon Jae-in, elected in May on a pledge to adopt a more conciliatory approach to North Korea, urged the United States to give diplomacy a chance. After meeting in Seoul yesterday with Joe Dunford, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he said in a speech that allied military action can only be taken with the consent of the South Korean government. That is an implicit signal that Mr. Moon will not tolerate any unilateral action by the United States to strike North Korea. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, August 15th. You can read more at WashingtonPost.com slash Daily 202. I'm James Holman, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.